2: Hi, I'm Tom Kerridge here on the BBC Good Food Podcast. This week, I'm speaking to Joanna Brennan, or Joe, as she prefers to be called. (laughs) Originally trained as a speech and language therapist with the NHS, Joe and her father, Chris, decided to open Pump Street Bakery in 2010. And three years later, to help shape a sustainable future in craft chocolate, Pump Street Chocolate was born. Joe, tell us a little bit more about how you ended up on this career path because it does sound like one leap to the other to then on to another one. like like and, and actually such a short space of time, yeah. 2010 to now, like in that space of 13 years to have gone from speech therapist yeah. to arguably one of the leading and most well-known and beautiful chocolate brands and a brilliant bakery. How, how have you got to that point?
0: Uh, thanks for the intro. That's, um, that's, uh, very flattering, but I, a lot of it happened quite organically. And I think you're right, looking back, um, it seems like a lot of change, but, uh, I think taking opportunities when they were presented to me is mostly how that evolution has happened. Um, I was working in the NHS, um, out of university and really, really enjoyed being a speech therapist. It was something that I felt was sort of a, a, a calling, a vocation for me. I really um, have a passion for languages and communication and really enjoyed working with so children. So let's just clear
2: something, because people are listening to your voice and <laughs> yes. your accent here and you've <laughs> left university and gone into the NHS. But where are you from originally?
0: So I grew up in Canada, which is where my accent is from. Uh, and then uh, yeah, I went to university in Canada initially and then to City University in London to train to be a speech therapist. So Great.
2: Fancy like, coming to London, bright lights, big city, exciting most vibrant city in the world and an incredible place and then got drawn in
0: yes absolutely my mum's english and my parents lived here by that time so there was a family connection as well and um and i love london so yeah it was it was very exciting move to make and to um, to go into this profession that i really really loved and worked in the nhs for five years it was uh, you know absolutely fantastic and got to be involved with children, you know, help um help their education, help people understand, you know, people's needs when it comes to special uh, specific learning impairment, which was what I was working with, but then I also had this sort of parallel passion, which was food, and found that that was consuming a lot of my time um, in a really great way. So I would sort of eating, cooking, going out, all of the above. Yeah, I would, um, you know, drive to work and plan what I was going to make for dinner, and uh, you know, spend all of my time on the weekends eating out and trying new things. And I knew that this could either be just a passion as a hobby, you know, for the rest of my life or perhaps like I would sort of indulge it a bit more at some point. And then that point came, that sort of opportunity came when my father sort of similarly in his retirement got really into baking. And when I say sort of really into, he was going on stages and working, you know, night baking at St. John Bakery. He was putting in a deck oven in his home office. (laughs) No
2: way. So what what was his background? What did he retire from?
0: So he worked for IBM for 35 years. Right, okay.
2: So in tech and computers (laughs) and, and then gone do you know what I fancy being a baker. and that's not just mm. having a go at making cakes that's doing night shifts in bakeries mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah that, was that because he, he actually fancied it as a career move or it was just that he just loved everything that went with it
0: he really loves um, everything that goes with baking. And, and to be honest, he's just one of those people that when he tries something, he doesn't go by halves. So, you know, if he's going to learn how to do something, he wants to do it properly. Um, and he's done the same with other uh, things like woodworking. For instance, he had a, a stage of being a woodworker and making the most beautiful inlaid humidors with like veneered woods. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, so he, he not, doesn't do anything by halves. Right, he um,
2: commits. He has a goat something and then commits. Yeah. So what happened here then?
0: So then, yeah, he really committed to bread and uh, he was making baking bread in his um, half deck oven in his home office and making more than we could possibly eat and committed to then trying new things, making viennoiserie. And at the same time, my mum very wisely said, listen, like we've got to sort of channel this somewhere there's all this bread that's being made and people need to eat it so let's sell it at the local country market and this was in suffolk they lived in orford at the time still do and they yeah started selling the bread and pastries at the country market on saturday morning and my dad would stay up all night friday night baking for this market and initially we just didn't (laughs) some retirement this (laughs) yeah yeah not not much rest going on (laughs) and uh and yeah, there was just this amazing reception, which we weren't anticipating um, because there were no, you know, certainly not within a few miles no bakeries really at all at the time. Um, and so we didn't know that there was this massive demand for sourdough and baguettes and, and that just fueled the fire, really, because knowing that people wanted it and were really um, enjoying his baking just meant that he baked more and more. So that was where the idea of opening a bakery came from.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you opened that. And then, how's that grown from being? How many people did you open with in the in the bakery?
0: Well, uh, just literally a few of us. So my father was baking along with Andy, who's still with us, um, and uh, it was myself in the shop. A couple of young women who were working with us at the time. That was it. A really so you tiny... gave up the job
2: from the NHS and you decided yep. to move to Suffolk, yep. start working with your parents. Yeah, okay. I
0: really ummed and nod over it for a long time. I would like to say now that it was an easy decision, but it wasn't. I just actually got my master's degree after I left speech therapy. Like The, the certificate came in the post and I was like, I'm not going to be doing that anymore. But it was just very exciting to to do something and to have this freedom to do it our way, I think. Um, um, you know, and to do something together with my father we'd never worked together before. That felt a little bit daunting, but actually it's been the most amazing gift to spend that time with him. Uh,
2: uh, yeah, because not many people get that opportunity to work and spend time with their family. And that, There's a lot of people that wouldn't want that opportunity (laughs) as well. That go, actually, I couldn't think of anything worse than working with my parents. But actually, as a relationship, this seems to have sounded like it's very sound. It's very, you have an understanding of how it works. But then from your dad baking, how's that then moved into you and? chocolate making how's that then suddenly gone from yeah your dad's got this great idea and actually he's very good at it and then it's gone from that and you built a team of people and you Mm. started working in a shop to going do you know what let's move into chocolate how's that happened
0: yeah that happened again as sort of an organic growth into this area where we just had uh, an interest so I um, started being aware of the fact that there was this craft chocolate movement mostly in the states at the time we're talking about sort of 2011 2012 and collecting bars of chocolate from different makers and i just loved exploring this world of flavor that i had no idea existed i think you know we grow up thinking that chocolate is one thing and it's one flavor and actually then you try single origin chocolate and you realize that every single origin has its own flavor and that was just so exciting and i wanted to begin to understand it not even feel like i could master it similarly i think like wine, you know, until I still don't have any mastery of wine, but I know what I like and I wanted to get to that point.
1: This episode is brought to you by Twizzlers. Long day, late night, feeling a little bored. Twizzlers is the ultimate sidekick for any moment of the day, no matter what kind of day you're having. The perfect level of sweet and a fun excuse to sit back and relax. Unwind with Twizzlers. To buy now, visit hersheyland.com slash Twizzlers.
0: and
2: those flavor points i mean we we talk about it and we've talked about it with different suppliers and people before about, but where things are grown and how they're grown or how they're harvested or how the length of time or the amount of sunshine or the amount of shade or the times of earth and the water that has a huge amount of effect on chocolate Mm. can you for those of us that don't know exactly how a chocolate bar is made what are the processes from start to finish where do you get how did how does it get (laughs) to that point
0: so uh yeah it's absolutely fascinating and Vast majority of it happens um, at the country of origin, so nothing that we have control over. Which is why it's so important that we work with great farmers. All cacao is grown within twenty degrees north or south of the equator, so very far from the UK. Uh, in these gorgeous tropical climates, cacao is a plant that likes to live under a canopy, so it really um, lends itself very well to sort of what we now call agroforestry. So it's a a crop that exists alongside other crops. A lot of the farms that we work with also farm spices or bananas. um, And the cacao pods, they grow out of the trunk of the tree. So it's really unusual looking. And it's the most fascinating large pod in many colors. And inside that pod is up to 40 seeds, each covered in sort of a fruity white pulp. It's quite delicious, actually quite sweet. Tastes a little bit like, um, like a mangosteen or like one of those kind of tropical fruits. Yeah. But that's not what we want as chocolate makers. We want the seeds inside. Those are uh, what we use to make the chocolate. So on site at the farm, that white fruity pulp has to be fermented away from the seeds. So that uh, happens in a fermentation trough. Usually takes about five days. So the yeast and bacteria in fermentation, the same ones that make sourdough bread. Right. They eat all of that, those sugars on the outside, and then that's dried in the sun, and you get the brown cocoa that we get transported to us in sacks. So
2: it's just dried in the sun. Mm. Like uh, on well, almost like a great big field kind of on a
0: massive like wooden sh- yeah bed that then is raked to turn them around, has to be covered when it rains. So often it rains in the afternoon in yeah. tropical countries. So it's a very labor intensive process and all of those factors as you said they have a huge impact on the quality of the So
2: that that's cocoa. just the seed. Mm. Just dried. It's not roasted, it's not toasted, it's not like coffee beans. It's not like so it's just the seed that's just been dried in the sun with the pulp that's come been taken off it, been yeah. fermented, also essentially called
0: washed. Also cocoa beans as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the roasting happens with us. So that's right. all just been fermented and dried on the farm and then sent to us. And then when it arrives in the UK, we get those um, those shipped directly from the farm to us. That's when we begin turning it into chocolate. And that process happens over many stages. The first one is that we have to look at all of the seeds and we actually truly cast our eye over everything. Every single one. Um, And that's in order to make sure that the quality is good, they're not broken, they've not been, you know, damaged in in transit sometimes there's twigs that arrive as well. You know, we're talking about, um, you know, the forest floor yeah. farms. So we have to take those away. We make sure we've got all of the best ones and then we roast those. The way we do that is in our old pastry ovens. <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> yeah.
2: okay. And um, the deck oven that was bought originally as, a, as, yes. a, a, as an idea of maybe having to go at baking bread is now roasting chocolate Exactly, seeds. yeah. So okay. we've,
0: we've um, designed some special trays that are perforated to get the air going. So we roast roast the beans in there. They then need to be um, obviously cooled and then broken and the outside shell of the of the bean is sort of like a it's a husk it's very papery and thin and not pleasant to eat at all so that has to be broken and then winnowed away and Is it's, that very
2: bitter? Has it got a very
0: It doesn't actually have um, too much of a bitter flavour it has quite a lot of chocolatey flavour and some people make tea from it Right, but it also has all of the leftover bits of the fermentation that's been dried on the outside and so flavor wise we like um, obviously the purity and the nibs are what makes the delicious texture yep. of chocolate as well because they have all the cocoa butter in so yeah we want to get rid of that that's a process called winnowing which is another parallel with bread because obviously when you with grain you you winnow away the chaff from the outside of the wheat so uh, yeah that happens and then we're less left with gorgeous nibs which you know is actually becoming quite an interesting ingredient in and of itself people are starting to cook with nibs at home you know put them in um, on top of porridge or in cookies so yeah they have a lot of amazing chocolate flavor and that is really 100% pure chocolate, the nibs but then we still. At this point, that there's further. no sweetness
2: to it. There's no richness. There there's is nothing not. that people that velvety feel that people associate with putting it in their mouth. No. At this point, you've just got a, like a toasted seed, yeah. basically.
0: Yeah, okay? absolutely. And, and then ancient, what's the next one? It?
2: I mean, this is so <laughs> complex and complicated. <laughs> that if people don't understand the process of making chocolate, like real beautiful bars of chocolate, mm-hmm. you know the difference between confectionery, mm-hmm. like that you buy from a garage, yep. compared to a beautiful bar of chocolate. Yeah. All of these processes are so far removed, aren't they?
0: They are, yeah. The transformation is different, and the ingredients are really different, too. So, industrially made, commodity chocolate that you might find in confectionery bars does have some of this nib in it but it also has different fats added different you know obviously a lot of sugar Um, and what we're doing is trying to keep the purity of those simple nibs and they have this amazing flavor and just really deliver that to people in the amazing form that we all love which is the snappy melty bar of chocolate so
2: then you got the nibs what happens to them then you get they get ground
0: they get ground yep they get ground and conched and that's a process of really getting the particle size down to below 20 microns so you can't feel it in your mouth and also so getting rid of some of the volatile gases that are trapped inside that don't taste as nice. We want to, yeah, drive those off. Adding sugar. Yeah. Adding a little bit of cocoa And butter. what
2: sort of sugar do you use? now? It, it, because again, we just normally see just granulated or caster sugar. Yeah. That's the standard sugar that people have at mm-hmm, home. Mm-hmm. What do you put into a chocolate bar?
0: So we put in cane sugar. So right. it is granulated white cane sugar. We have been asked, you know, and I think it's a really valid question, like do you use British sugar? Do you use beet sugar? Um, and we don't partly because of the clarity of flavor that we get from cane sugar it's a very sort of simple sweetness that allows the chocolate to talk for itself Uh, but also there's a synergy between sort of the origins of chocolate and the origins of cane sugar which I think is a bit more fitting for us
2: yeah absolutely it all touches those points yeah and then that's blended together
0: yeah and then it's aged you age chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: Okay, so this is a whole new thing for me. To <laughs> say. You age
0: chocolate? Yeah. So after the chocolate's sort of more or less finished, we like the taste of it. it's in a big tank of 35 kilos of gorgeous molten liquid chocolate. We We then pour that into a big sort of square tub and we age it for at least a month and this is kind of a bit like you know with a stew and you would say leave it for a day and those flavours kind of meld together and the the flavour stabilises over that time everything
2: becomes more rounded mm -hmm. all those subtleties begin to iron out and they just kind of sit very much together there isn't anything that fights against each other Yeah. tell us your favourite dish that you can use chocolate for
0: for me it's got to be chocolate chip cookies
2: that's (laughs) that's that's just a favourite dish not even just a chocolate for what's your favorite chocolate chip cookies <laughs> yeah. i mean there's a win there
0: they are you know i think it's something that's a bit nostalgic a bit comforting um for me you know growing up in canada that was a that was sort of a, a classic north american dish and i think with our chocolate it really allows the chocolate flavor to come through but similarly something like a very simple chocolate cake would also chocolate nemesis cake that, you know, that really allows yeah. the flavor of the chocolate yeah. to come out. What sort of, mm.
2: I mean, are there any key essential ingredients that you need to have for them? Is there anything that's non-negotiable in the way that you make your cookies? Is, is there anything that you have to have that is, you know, the, the, there's no swerving on this?
0: Well, it's got to be the chocolate. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Obviously, it's got to be our chocolate when I make them. But no, I think what I what I love about them other than that it, is the simplicity. You know, like the, it is so accessible. You know, you just need... Butter, obviously, the best quality you can buy yeah. of butter and eggs and flour will make a difference. But you know, they are they are something that you can make with stuff that you buy at the corner shop.
2: Now, you normally associate cookies as being kind of like soft and gooey in the middle. But mm. what about super thin, crispy one? I, I mean, is there a particular version that you like? So
0: I like that middle ground between like the crisp edge all the way around and then the almost uncooked middle right so yeah to me that's the sort of magic combination i think that's the recipe that i like um, and that we use at the bakery achieves that and by doing a couple of tricks that i think are are really essential so all of these kind
2: of tricks and tips that you've learned from it are they things that you've taught yourself along the way
0: the understanding of how to get this right again and again and again Mm. and again Things I've collected, I would say. Right. I think, you know, everyone who writes de- recipes, develops recipes should probably acknowledge that there's very few completely new things. So, you know, I've read lots of chocolate cookie recipes and borrowed different parts of ones that I felt worked really well. You know, one of those uh, those techniques is aging the dough a little bit. So there's always that temptation once you've just mixed a batch of chocolate chip cookies to bake them right away. And I probably do usually bake one or two. But actually leaving the dough to age for a day before you shape the balls for the cookies really... What difference does does that make? I think it's about the hydration of the flour. So, you know, you've literally just introduced wet and dry ingredients and, and they have not really melded together. It's again that sort of time and marriage of, of flavors and texture.
2: And then, I mean, one of my questions is what do you do with leftovers? Well, there's never leftovers of cookies is there? But the one no. thing <laughs> I, 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 I mean, what we do, we do cookies uh, um, occasionally in some of the restaurants and some mm. of the pubs and spaces, but we actually we make a cookie dough, but we don't cook it straight away, like you say. Mm. But we actually keep it in the freezer. Is that a good way? Would you be an advocate of keeping cookie doughs in freezers?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's part of our part of my recipe definitely so once they've aged and then been made into balls to store those balls in the freezer and then you can bake them as and when you want them so you don't feel like you've got to bake sort of 24 cookies at once yeah take a couple of balls out so the, the problem freezer that is that you then
2: eat 24 at once that <laughs> exactly. is exactly that's the big
0: issue isn't yeah it? i mean even when they're in the freezer it's really hard not to just bake them regularly but yeah it's one extra step and it means that you always have them warm which is i think that magic moment isn't
2: it so obviously now you're a mum. you've got you've got a couple of kids, it, family is a is a big thing for you. Mm-hmm. Like it's sitting down together, being a part of it. Obviously, yeah. being in business with your family, with your mm-hmm. father. Like mm-hmm. it must be quite well connected in terms of how you all, I, I suppose, interact. And, you know, weekends and uh, and Sunday lunch is that something that's quite important to you.
0: Yeah, Sunday lunch is really important to us, and I think that that's something that it's a tradition that we borrowed from Simon's family. He's he's Welsh, and Sunday lunches were a big thing in his family. My mum's English, and so she also grew up with that. And I think for us, you know, with the rhythm of our business. The end of a Sunday is really the time to take a breather because uh, the bakery's closed for a couple of days, so we can kind of, yeah, all sit down together. And uh, you know, sometimes that's something really simple. Sometimes it's a whole, a whole big rib of beef. But you know, it's more about making something and all sitting down together. But I do love Sunday lunches.
2: I've got a couple of quick fire questions yeah. before you leave us. Right, mm. first one: most well-thumbed cookery book.
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, It's got to be Nigel Slater's Appetite, which was one of the first cookbooks um, that I really seriously used. My mom gave it to me when I went to university and I love and still do love the idea that he's actually teaching people how to cook, um, you know, creatively at home with what you've got there's base recipes that you can adapt and change and yeah it really informed the way I cook sort of at home
2: again heartfelt soulful passionate I love that okay favorite pub what's your favorite pub
0: Uh, my favourite pub has got to be the Duke of Richmond um, in Hackney so it's one of my locals they make great Sunday lunches really lovely people who run it again lots of heart and soul there they do a lot for the community
2: I love that well our our sister brand Olive is running Love Your Local which is a campaign to support pubs and Mm. you know for more information you can grab it at olivemagazine.com but that sounds like the real reason like heart, soul, community, loving your local Mm. tell us something that's always in your fridge that probably isn't chocolate
0: kimchi i okay. really love kimchi always get it. It last for ages so you know, yeah. can just always just keep it in the back of the fridge you know makes an omelette pretty amazing can make a you know bowl of rice also pretty incredible fantastic so what a
2: great ingredient uh <laughs> confessions biggest cooking disaster
0: Oh, I don't know. Probably recently, I made some Yorkshire puddings that failed the other day, which was devastating because no like that timing is like that's right at the end of everything. And yeah, yeah, just I didn't. I think I didn't put. I tell you know, what, that is a confession
2: from a, from a, from a, from, a, from a, one of the country's most renowned bakeries. No, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It can
0: happen to us all.
2: <laughs> it can happen to us all. What about food that you've never tried?
0: I'm happy with awful liver and things like that, but I haven't tried brain. Yeah. You know, there's some there's some sort of nose to tail eating that hasn't... I'll be honest with you, you're not missing that. much. Okay. <laughs> it's all right, don't <laughs> worry.
2: What about a guilty pleasure?
0: Apart from chocolate chip cookies. <laughs>
2: it's the way we've talked about it today. There's nothing guilty about it. They're <laughs> just pleasure. There's nothing guilty about it. They're amazing. <laughs> well,
0: it's not, not guilty, but I've, I'm a real glutton for rice. Um, so if there's cold rice in the fridge... I really can't let it go. And I'll just like make fried rice or eat it with just soy sauce and butter yeah I'm a big rice fanatic
2: I love that <laughs> Joe, listen I can't thank you enough for coming in thanks for that no, and listen in front me. of us we've we bought some chocolates as well and everyone's been looking at it longingly <laughs> here in the studio going yeah when are we going to open the in. chocolates but yeah listen I can't honestly thank you ever so much I wish you all the success because uh-huh. it's you know it's a wonderful business it's doing ever so well but more importantly it's built on the right sense of heart soul foundation and family well done for being able to uh-huh. work with your own father.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you, mate. Thank you.
2: Right, guys, thanks ever so much for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to the bonus cook along recipe that Joe's going to put together for chocolate chip cookies. For more details, you can see bbcgoodfood.com. See you next time. Bye.